I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Seems like a lot of people enjoyed our Saturday pod, Siege. Working on the weekend, man. Guess it's uh, worthwhile. I didn't know didn't know what to expect, but it's nice to see so many people engaging with that one. And you know, it's that time of year. It's uh, it's the beautiful time of year. Do you think people will ever hear that episode that we recorded that ended up being irrelevant as soon as the Ryan O'Reilly trade happened? No, I mean, I know producer Nick heard it. I mean, I don't know why, because it's it it's immediately dated. So, like, why would you want to listen to something? Like I don't I don't know that it's it's not like a an episode of Seinfeld that's discovered years later or something like because we're talking about something in the moment but what happened in the moment changed pretty quickly so I I think it's just sort of lost to the ether. I guess I just feel like I want to believe there's like a small section of people who just because they like our show enough they the would just listen to it yeah the sickos <laughs> who would just be like oh this is what they thought of this thing. Oh, this inside of this player. Like, wow, it's like a little like time capsule. We'll just call it the lost episode. Yeah, we had a pretty good discussion there on the Flames um, that was relevant in the wake of the Alan Walsh tweet. Um, And I I don't know that we could recreate it with the same sort of emotion or passion or urgency, because at that time we were reacting to something that just sort of was was happening in the moment. You know, that would probably stand up, for example. But a lot of the, the specific um content like the like news reporting on on some of the the moves that were about to be made got uh got blown up by Kyle Dubas's Friday night trade with Doug Armstrong um someone in ask CJ uh, which we'll get to later on in the show asked what our opinions are of the flames thing if you'd like when it comes time for ask CJ we could at least try to provide what we Set right that day. We'll boil that into 90 seconds though instead of 10 minutes or whatever it was in in the yeah. last episode so <laughs> that's true all right um let's talk about chicago seems like uh some pretty intriguing uh news coming out of that city considering uh, the top two players obviously and uh, their futures we've talked a lot about patrick kane jonathan taze uh, do you want to start with Kane and what he's able to do against the Leafs and how he's been in his last two games? Or should we start with Jonathan Taze, who uh, ended up putting out a statement talking about how he's still dealing with complications from from long COVID, and that pretty much jeopardizes any chances of him being moved ahead of the deadline? Yeah, well, it removes any chance, actually. There's been a decision made he's not going to move. Um, you know, I think for me, I want to combine both because what's sort of been interesting if you followed the career arcs of these two guys is that they've been forever linked, right? They, they entered the NHL in the same season and helped propel the, the Blackhawks to a Stanley Cup in pretty short order. I mean, the, the first Stanley Cup win in 2010, Jonathan Taze was on his entry-level contract. He won the Conn Smythe that year and got like a $1.5 million bonus because he was still on an ELC, um, which is not what you would typically expect. And obviously those two sort of together, Batman and Robin or or whatever duo you, you like the best have, have you know, changed the, the that organization for a generation put three Stanley Cup banners in the ceiling had all kinds of successes they signed the exact same contracts 
same cap hits, same structure, everything, same agent. They've been always linked together. And I think where we are at now as of Sunday is the first time they're sort of breaking apart. Um, you know, unfortunately, in, in Jonathan Tage's case, a lot of it is driven by what you say is health issues that, that are, are going to have him, you know, potentially we don't even know if he's going to play again this season. Of course, we, we hope that's the case. I know he's been skating. He, it's not as though he's shutting it down, but, but you know, he's facing a bit of an uncertain future because of the the long COVID related issues that he's he's dealt with that, that already have cost him one whole season, if you remember a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, then you watch that game against the Maple Leafs and, and the one that, that John or that Patrick Kane had Friday night in Ottawa, where he scored early and had two goals. And you're seeing, you're seeing a guy that's back to life a little bit. And, and obviously we're skewed a little bit here by the results. The fact he's putting the puck in the net, you're like, Oh, then he's, you know, he might've had some sh- bad shooting luck, some of the previous parts of the season, but I think more than the goals themselves, it's the way he looked like he, he was energized. I don't, I don't think there's any other way around that, the way he's celebrating the goals. And, and it just didn't look to me like someone who isn't getting traded. If you know what I'm saying? Like I'm reading between the lines here. This isn't specific reporting. It's not as though his agent or somebody else has said he's going to be dealt, but I, I just think it's hard not to see the way he played in those games and scoring goals. And, you know, he acknowledged just how special the moment was at United center to have a hat trick, you know, could be potentially one of his last games there as a member of, of the team, the home team. Um, you know, it just sort of leads me to believe as we look ahead to these next couple of days where, where there's expected to be some decision about his future, that Patrick Kane still got some gas left in the tank. I think he's got a, maybe a little fire in his belly. He's probably tired of hearing about this hip injury and his lack of production this season and all this and that. I mean, he had what nine goals in like 50 games and then he had five in the last two. Yeah. So um, I, I feel like it's, it, because we've so often grouped these guys together and, and for good reason, they were teammates, you know, 16 plus seasons, you know, shared so many successes, each of them won one, a con Smythe. And it was like, everything has been sort of them as a duo. And, and I think you're really starting to get the picture. This is, this is the first time they might not be as pro hockey players or as in the NHL that, that we might see them split apart. Um, And it's too bad, but it's also, it's pretty incredible. The run they've had very few teammates, you know, it's sort of a Crosby Melkin kind of deal or Backstrom Ovechkin, but there's not very many teammates that have as much success as these two had that, that and play together at such a high level for so long. And, and I think we're at the precipice, just my sense um, that, that, that might be about to change and that Patrick Kane might be moving on. Do we get to a point where Patrick Kane gets scratched for trade related reasons? I don't think so because in the cases we've seen that happen, Julian, it's it's about a team protecting an asset. And in this case, Patrick Kane isn't really an asset to Chicago, right? Because as we sort of spelled out all along, he only goes somewhere if he wants to go there. He, he's picking his spot. I'm sure the trade will look a little underwhelming if there is one in terms of the return. Because I don't, I don't think Chicago and Kyle Davidson have like true leverage in this situation. It's not as though there's six teams bidding on him, right? Um, and so I think that he, sure, he might be held out of a game before a trade goes down. But I think if you see him held out of a game, it's because a trade is in the works. Like, you know, kind of like the Tyler Mott situation in Ottawa on, on Sunday afternoon. I mean, it was called trade-related reasons, but the trade was announced during the game, like, you know, pretty much right away. They just hadn't quite completed the deal yet. So I don't I don't think it's going to be such a preemptive scratch if, if there is one. But, um, you know, I... It would be it would be surprising to me. I think that this will happen basically on 
Kane's watch. Now the question is, and, and that we haven't contemplated is he wants to go certain places. Are those teams going to want him? You know, like there's a bit of a matchmaking dance to be had here. Uh, I know we discussed sort of, you know, some of the Edmonton interests on, on our last pod. You know, I, I don't know that the Oilers are, well, certainly I don't have any reason to believe the Oilers are all in on wanting him. And I'm not sure he's all in on wanting them. I mean, so this is, we get into this funny stretch where I guess there actually is a world where he's willing to be moved, but maybe the teams or situations don't just make sense on both sides. And so that that's maybe what these next 10, 11 days are about um, before the deadline passes. But I just think based on his play, it's hard not to conclude he looks like someone with a fire under him. And, and with due respect to where Chicago's at this season, I just feel like if he was just playing out the stretch on a really bad team, which, you know, the Blackhawks at this point are, um, you know, right at the bottom of the standings, basically, I know they jumped a couple teams with the win over Toronto on Sunday, but you know, you, you don't get that fired up. If you're, if you're just playing out the string, I think, I think he's got the promise of playoff games ahead. It's just the question is what city is he going to play them in? Can we clarify something with Patrick Kane? Were the Toronto Maple Leafs ever actually interested in him? Well, it it depends how we classify interest, right? I mean, this is this time of year. Like, I I certainly think that if you're them, they've had conversations about him behind the scenes, probably inquired to see if there could be a fit. I mean, basically, you're you're trying to line up. You're trying to figure out when you're in a front office, what are the, the entire range of possibilities and availabilities to us? And then you make the best decision with all that information. I don't have any reason to believe they were like heavily involved at any point. I don't know if he would even want to play there. I mean, I, I really, I don't think it ever got to that stage. It's just, it's just so happened. He played a game in Toronto last week and then played another subsequent one in Chicago against that team. There's lots of discussion in the marketplace. Like, I don't know where the story exactly starts or, you know, sometimes these things take on a life of their own, but I don't, it wasn't as though I didn't ever get the impression. Like I think Timo Meyer was much more, of a potential target for the Leafs than Patrick Kane ever was. And then obviously they didn't go in either direction because they make the deal for Ryan O'Reilly, Nolachari, and and use up some cap space and kind of line up roster spots. And and so I, I won't say they were never thinking about it or interested, but I don't think that it was ever a priority for them by any stretch. And and nor do I believe it was necessarily a priority for him. I mean, I the only place I can confidently say that I think he was willing to go is the Rangers. Um it's funny, just the way it goes. Puckpedia put out another tweet last night. Even with the Mont deal, there's a there's a cap way that the Rangers can make this work. But I mean, you, you start to think that the door is really closed when they're they're making a second forward addition, and it's not Patrick Kane uh, to a team that's having a lot of success as is. So, you know, I don't know. You know, would would he go to Dallas? Would he go to Vegas? Do those teams really want him? I mean, that's that's what's to be sorted out now. And you're getting a little shy on impact forwards available right there's Meyer out there for teams Kane at least is starting to show you that he could be an impact forward I don't know if the next player available I'm not saying those other players whether it's a Sam Lafferty or you know James Van Riemsdyk I'm just going through the forwards off the top of my head that are on the trade list like those guys can help a team but I think they're more supporting role players you know in Meyer and Kane you have two potential frontline players available that can really you know, change the top six, uh, unless there's a surprise trade out there. We don't know about it's even starting to look like Tyler Bertuzzi is, is less, less likely to be moved with Detroit kind of hanging around the wildcard race in Eastern conference. So, you know, the teams that want to make that level of addition, they don't only have so many options too. And so we're down to musical chairs here. And I, I'm really intrigued to see if Patrick Kane finds one to sit in. 
Yeah, I, at this point, it's just going to be a situation we're going to monitor uh, up until uh, the almighty trade deadline at the beginning of next month. I want your thoughts on Nolachari and Ryan O'Reilly, but hold on to those as we get through uh, sports interactions. Uh, you can bet that segment. You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. I just was bored. Decided to look at uh, the odds for uh, the outright Stanley Cup winner according to Sports Interaction. Bruins are still the favorite. Colorado in second uh, at seven. Their, their numbers just at 7.00. Carolina's third, Toronto's fourth. Here's a team that I thought was really interesting. The New Jersey Devils have the fifth best odds, according to Sports Interaction, to win the Stanley Cup at 13-01. Better than the Rangers, better than the Lightning, better than Vegas, Dallas. Uh, pretty interesting to see uh, New Jersey rank so high. And they haven't even acquired Timo Meyer yet, if that's what they want. Well, I, I'm sure some of this is just it's it's related to the, the playoffs, right? Someone's got to come out of the Metropolitan. Maybe it's New Jersey. Maybe it's Carolina. Maybe it's the Rangers. But that team, you know, won't have to play either the Bruins, the Leafs, or the Lightning until the conference final. And so somebody is going to come out of that side of the bracket before getting, you know, let's call it Boston just for argument's sake, the team that's, that's just blowing everyone out. And so, you know, then you get to the point, you just need one upset essentially. Whereas I think it's a tougher path in some other divisions. I'm kind of surprised to hear you say too, that, that the lightning aren't like, are they distant? Are they seventh or eighth? I mean, they're seventh. Yeah. So, you know, basically the, the odds are reflecting that the Leafs are quite a bit more favored than, than the lightning. And of course we know those teams are going to play each other entering round one. I, you know, I guess these, these odds do shift with, with a move like the one, Toronto made with the Friday night trade. Um, but I'm guessing they're going to jump around again a little bit because we still got a week and a half of action and additions still to come, including Boston not having made its trade. Tampa hasn't made its trade. Carolina hasn't made its trade. New Jersey hasn't made its trade and, and a bunch of other teams. I mean, it's really among the, the top teams you mentioned there, only the Rangers and the Leafs that have made a big move so far. Don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in-game, and the best props. Again, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, a better immune system. Really, just between you and me, man, like taking pills and vitamins every single day gets very annoying. I like the idea of just taking a little powder, put it in my water. You know, we all talk about, we talk about mixing in waters here on the CJ show. So why not do that and add in some, uh, some AG one while we are at it. It's just, again, the idea that like, you know, we can help with sustaining energy, better immune system, better gut health as well. I like that personally as someone who, you know, is trying to trying to do a little bit better by my body nowadays. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's good to have that going. Um, all great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. I'm not an athlete. I wish I was an athlete, but still, you know, it'd be nice to think of myself as one one day. Probably never. It doesn't matter because AG1 will help you get those vitamins in just like what athletes would try to do. Uh, and they have 75 high quality ingredients that give daily nutrients and long-term gut health support. It's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps almost everybody take great care of their health. 
if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Johnston. That's athleticgreens.com slash Johnston and check it out. A free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash Johnston. Check it out. Okay, so we're two games into the Ryan O'Reilly, Noel Achari era in Toronto. <laughs> uh, they get a big win over Montreal. They lose against Chicago. I would like to know uh, your assessment of the two newest Leafs, uh, Siege. It's so early, right? I mean, I can't even imagine the weekend these guys just had. Because as much as we're talking about what happens to us when a Friday night trade goes down late, I mean, this involves their lives, you know, I believe the order of events, sequence of events, was that Ryan O'Reilly then drove to pick up his and Nolachari's equipment at some late hour Friday night. They flew into Toronto on Saturday morning, missed the morning skate. You know, they're meeting their teammates. They're getting fitted for equipment and all that stuff, getting the new sweaters, you know, hot off the presses. They play Saturday night in an emotional home game, you know, in, in O'Reilly's case, gets to start the game, a starting lineup, get, feel all the feels, all that stuff. They, they get a big win. He gets the... Leafs sort of championship belt that night. And then they fly that same night to Chicago where they play on Sunday in a game that starts at five o'clock local, like less than 24 hours later. So the schedule was not on their, their side in terms of getting comfortable, getting rested. Um, and then it was pretty sort of sleepy effort. I'd say from the Leafs as a whole, you know, but you have to still like what you see in short doses. I mean, Noel Chari gets a goal. I think that, well, he's not, been brought in to be a big difference maker offensively i think all that sort of stuff makes you feel part of the team it, it removes the the question of you know if it goes on a long time without scoring you know riley hasn't scored he had an assist in his, his opener he hit hit the crossbar on a on a half breakaway in the chicago game so he was close um but yeah i think i think you, you like the look of it i'm curious how the lines go right i mean especially the the second line that they've sort of gone with John Tavares on the wing, uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly in the middle and Mitch Martyr on the right side. Is that working? Isn't that working? I mean, Sheldon Keefe is a coach that really mixes and matches. And so I think, I think over the next say five to 10 games, you're going to get more of a feel for how it, it, it fits, you know, what things are being moved around, but in, in the short strokes, given the, the challenges of the trade timing and lack of sleep and all these flights in a small period of time, uh, I thought I thought it looked pretty good. And now we kind of wait for what's next from the Leafs. I think they are going to be quite aggressive in trying to upgrade other areas. They just don't have a ton of cap space and, and draft pick capital to do it. But maybe if the prices come down, you know, there's there's still another big swing to be made from the Leafs front office. In terms of making that move, I, I would imagine if they want to be creative with the space that they do have, some player out of the lineup is going to have to come out, right? You would think. I mean, that's the easiest way to imagine the trade going down um, because, you know, you've now got a number of players on the roster in kind of what I call fringe positions. You know, Alex Kerfoot jumps out. You know, he's playing now on the fourth line, you know, making over $3 million against the cap, and he's a pending UFA. And it's it's not to say that he has to go, but that's one way to create room if you're bringing in another forward and, and he's going to get to the point where he might be scratched anyway. I mean... If they're bringing another defenseman, maybe it's Justin Hall that goes. 
Um, you know, I know the Leafs really like Justin Hall and, and, and there's a lot of, he's sort of a, at times a polarizing guy in the fan base with, with, you know, measuring his impacts and this and that. But if, if they were to bring in another impactful defenseman, maybe it's, it's his time because he's also pending UFA. You know, I, I don't think that there's one move they have to make at this stage. I mean, they also have David Camp uh, as, as a pending UFA who's, you know, playing lower down the lineup. I mean, I, this has not been the kind of thing. If you look over time, Kyle Dubas has not really been one to subtract players off his roster in most of his trades. I mean, you know, one that he did, for example, Trevor Moore went out in a deal when they got Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford. But at that point, it's because LA really wanted Trevor Moore and and the Leafs had to put him into the package. That was not related to the cap. That wasn't because he wasn't going anywhere in Toronto. That was just the price they had to pay. But in general, the Leafs have, have just added players and, and, They've, they've seen guys walk out the door as free agents, but they haven't subtracted them in trades. And so if this kind of trade goes down, it will be a little different than what I'd say has been the normal playbook for the front office. And, and you know, I think that as much as any team can be loyal, and let's face it, loyalty in pro sports is pretty flimsy just by the nature of the way the business works. Um, you know, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see who who it is that they, they take off the roster because a lot of the players, I mean, Camp is only in his second year in Toronto, but you know, guys like Kerfoot, he's at the end of four seasons in Toronto. Justin Hall, you know, started off as a Toronto Marley for a few seasons before, you know, breaking in as an NHL player. If if it was any of those players, there's sort of a, there's a human calculation that goes in there too about how it affects the dressing room. And I think that that's something we probably overlook when analyzing or discussing deals or potential deals. But, um, you know, there, there would be a, there would be a, there, there's a lot to consider there more than just, you know, is this person going to, on on paper give us a better chance of winning anything else you want to mention about the Leafs before we get to uh headlines no I think we've gone in on pretty good between Saturday's episode and today's <laughs> I've only got so many thoughts yeah uh Some more than nuggets. 32 more than 32 I might add um let's get to uh <laughs> boom shout sick out, burn take that Jeff and Elliot take that um, I want to ask you about uh, Vlad Gavrikov out in uh, Columbus. There seemed to have been, uh, might have been a report, there might have been some rumors, but a connection has been made between uh, the Blue Jackets defenseman to Boston uh, over the weekend. What's your status? What's your read on that? Well, I, I mean, the Bruins' interest predates the weekend. I mean, I think that they've they've been one of the teams interested here. You know, they have cap challenges too, and so... If, and that remains still an if, if they make this deal, they're, they're going to have to do something to clear out some room or or maybe it's part of the trade with Columbus, a potential trade to to fit this this guy in. You know, it, it's been an interesting situation. Like, I don't get the sense that Gavrikov himself really knows what's going on. He's kind of in limbo, you know, obviously in this, uh, he's in the Jacob Chikrin realm of just perpetual scratch for trade-related reasons um, and just sort of waiting it out trying to stay in shape, still with the team, practicing, skating, you know, doing extra work there. Um, but I, I don't have any reason to believe a resolution is, you know, imminent in these next few days. And that's kind of like the bigger picture curiosity with this, you know, this protecting of the assets the way they have is if you, if you make that, that initial scratch and then you say that there's trade, but it doesn't happen. Like there's almost, it's like, to me, it's like what deadline, the only deadline is the real deadline now. Um, you know, which is still a week and a half away, which is a long time not to be playing if you're in Gavrikov skates. So, you know, the only team that I think is really 
been known to be close as Boston. It kind of reminds me of the Chikrin situation with Los Angeles, where we keep talking about this one team, but the trade doesn't happen. And we know there's other teams that like the players, but but it doesn't seem like they're as motivated to pay the price. You know, for example, I you know, the Edmonton, for example, is has looked at Gavrikov, but I'm not sure the asking price is something that they can wrap their minds around just yet. They're they're obviously got a lot of lot of lines uh in Edmonton in in the various ponds um as they look to improve their team. And so yeah, this one just kind of waits. This is this is Vlad Gavrikov in, in limbo and and be very interesting to see if if Columbus can get something close to the price they've set, which is a first, a third and a fourth round pick, you know, which includes uh, retention on, on Gavrikov's salary. That's still a lot for a guy who on Boston would be like, what, like a number four? Yeah, but I mean, I guess the, the Bruins seem to think that that's where their need is. You know, I the only they don't have a lot of needs like their record is kind of tells a story. Now it's not, there's no guarantee. We've seen lots of teams have this kind of regular season and fall short of the Stanley cup. There's no guarantee they win. And so that's why if you're in the front office, you're looking for any possible way to upgrade, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big price to pay, but the flip side, if, if they were to pay something like that, you know, Boston's Boston's picks in the first round are going to be almost second round picks at this point. And the third and the fourth, if they're all this season, they're going to be like fourth and fifth round picks. Cause they're going to be right at the end of those rounds. And so, you know, maybe that's that's how you justify it. We, we saw Tampa pay a similar price for David Savard a few years ago. Uh, the Ben Sherratt deal last year between Montreal and Florida had a that kind of price tag on it, you know, something similar. So I think that that's, those are the comparable trades that have been made in the past. And and whether or not I think Columbus can get that is just it's contingent on if there's enough teams bidding on the guy that they feel, that, you know, that one of those teams feels they're close and that they have to, you know, actually pay that price to get it done. Speaking of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were thinking, hey, they might be pretty busy at the trade deadline with uh, some of the contracts they'd be able to offload. Uh, it looks as if it might be a bit quiet, uh, considering how some of those assets have kind of played out. Evgeny Danov has not necessarily lit the world aflame during his time as a Montreal Canadian. Sean Monaghan has been dealing with injuries. Joel Edmondson seems to be the name that has attracted the most trade deadline noise, but who knows how it'll look for, for Cantus and the Canadians. What's your read on those guys? If it's quiet, it's not going to be because they want it to be quiet. I, I think you're right. It's just that the market doesn't value the players they have. And then they have a couple injury situations. And so, you know, Kent Hughes made all kinds of moves in the lead up to last year's deadline, you know, getting futures for our Terry Lekkinen, you know, Tyler Toffoli, Sherratt, as mentioned, you know, he, he shifted, he found a way to make trades to to start turning things over. I think he'd like to keep doing the same, but the UFAs are what Dadnov, uh, Jonathan Drouin. Yeah. He's there. Um, you know, there's, there's a few others and then Monaghan, of course, but you know, I think Dadnov, there's a, at least a sense, maybe he could be a secondary item for some teams. So, so maybe, maybe they find a way to trade him. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that with Drouin. Monaghan, I think, would have been a, an excellent deadline candidate based on how he played for the first two months. But he's been out with what was initially described as a, you know, sort of a short-term injury in the early December. And and I know he's worked his way back. He's been seen at the practice facility and skating and all that. But, you know, he hasn't played a game in two months and change. And, and he has a concerning history uh, when it comes to, to some hip issues. Now, the Canadians haven't said publicly that he's dealing with a hip issue, but I think it's natural to wonder if you're another team, you know, I really believe he would have been a pretty good chip. 
as a UFA, if, you know, how do you continue to play and play well, but now that's, that's a very open-ended question. I mean, even if he plays, if he comes back and play, like he's only got a, a maximum, a handful of games to show that he's healthy and, and it's been a long layoff. So that, you know, he might move, but if he moves, it might be for a really small return. And then Edmondson is, is probably another big piece, but you know, he's got one more year on his deal, which teams like, but the flip side is he's also been out injured upper body injury. So, you know, I don't think the Canadians feel the same need to have to make that move if if they they can't get a price and make sense because, of course, he could still be a piece of next year's deadline. So yeah, I think the way it's all kind of shaken down, Montreal would like to still keep down the path that this new front office has started on, but I don't know that the market lines up kind of with their ambition to do that. What about uh, for a guy like Josh Anderson? I don't get the the sense that the 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 interest is there. Quite honestly, I mean, I. That seems to be like a rumor that won't go away out of Montreal, but it hasn't lined up with what I've heard league wide uh, in terms of teams. I mean, certainly like a team like the Calgary flames at times has shown interest in Josh Anderson, but I, I, you know, I don't get the feeling it's anything more than liking the player. It's not got to the point where they're, you know, really in the nitty gritty and trying to hammer out a deal. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, he's also signed for, for more seasons beyond this one. So it's not a trade that has to happen now. And, and so yeah, wouldn't it be wild if we go through this whole deadline period and maybe they'd make like one deal or no deals given how much they, they, you know, really were one of the main players at last year's deadline from a seller perspective. And and that I think they wanted to be as this year started, right? They, Mike Hoffman's another UFA. Like they've come in to the season with all these players that theoretically could have been, can, you know, decent deadline pieces, but it just hasn't kind of worked out the way you, you would have planned it in the summer. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what the Montreal Canadiens as well as uh, Jacob Chikrin, who, as of this, as of uh, us recording on a Monday morning, still not moved. We don't know what's going to happen with that. Or at least I don't know what's going to happen with that. CJ, what's going to happen with that? Uh, I wish I knew. I mean, come on. Jacob Chikrin wishes he knew. I think Bill Armstrong, who's, you know, kind of at the reins here, wishes he knew. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just been a long slog for everyone involved in that situation. I think there is legitimate trade fatigue out there from teams who like the player. There's there's concerns that Jacob Chikrin still isn't at 100% injury wise. I mean, there's just like a lot of information and perhaps misinformation around the situation. Uh, not a lot of clarity, I would say. And and I wonder, is it even a foregone conclusion he's moved by March 3rd? I I, I don't believe it is. Which you know, if we're talking about fatigue and slog, and I'm using all these adjectives now. I mean, what's it going to look like on the other side of March 3rd if a if he remains in in Arizona, and then if they're not able to move him in the off season, it's just you know, it's like the 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 trade the trade speculation that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it forever just because you know you know what I'm getting at here. <laughs> that was really good. That was a brilliant use of that reference. Well done, Siege. I mean, you got to get creative some of these days. Just like the questions we're about to delve through and uh, ask CJ. We got a small handful for you, buddy. We do this uh, every Monday where we take in some questions, uh, usually it's off of Twitter. It's a holiday Monday, Discord. by the way, in Ontario. Oh, that's Family true. Day. It is, it's, it, it, it's in Alberta, too. I okay. live in a province that has Family Day. I mean, this is a weird, and this is only for our Canadian-specific listeners, viewers, but Family Day is not a national holiday in Canada. It's like province by province. And in fact... I have a brother-in-law who works in the government. He doesn't actually get this day as a stat holiday, which is so bizarre. Would you think a day dedicated to your family, it should be for every, it should be a stat holiday for everyone. But anyway, I digress. I, I did, I was in Coburg though the last day in a bit. 
seeing hey. my family, spending some time with Cobra Papa. Hey, how's he doing? He's doing well. We watched a little bit of the golf yesterday. Watched the Leafs game uh, from Chicago on TV. He's doing well. Still listens to That's, every episode. I, I appreciate we we appreciate you, Cobra Papa. Sometimes uh, he'll been, text me like yeah. good episode or whatever before I even know it's been posted. Aww. Like, like I think he's like Aww. I don't know if producer Nick sends him like an advanced link or something, but he seems to hear it before it's even like on social yet. If there's one guy who deserves advance, uh, <laughs> like listens of an episode, it's definitely him. He deserves it. Um, first question from Ryan Party. All right, let's get this out the way. Since it sounds like it's been relegated to the CJ Show archives. What were your and Julie McKenzie's thoughts on the uh, Alan Walsh Flames situation? Oh, man. Have you ever... This is why, like, performers... Like, if you're in a band and you got to go every night and bring the same energy to your show, like, that's that's a real talent. Because it's so hard to bring the same element because we've already taped this, recorded this. Yeah. Um, what are my thoughts? Well, clearly, this is directed, in my view, at Daryl Sutter. I, I, I don't see this as... You know, you, you can interpret it as a team-wide cultural thing, a organizational thing. I, I think it's when you're talking about sucking the, I can't remember the exact wording, but the sucking the joy out for the player or something along those lines, you yeah. know, that's that that's aimed at a coach. And, and look, we've heard some strain there. We should remember Daryl Sutter helped the Los Angeles Kings win two Stanley Cups, and he still got locked out of the dressing room by his players at one point. So, I mean, this is how he's been how he is. I think he's a hard driving guy. I think what you see at the podium, Julian is a lot of how he is everywhere. I don't think that that's just an act in front of the cameras or anything like that. He's old school in a league that's going new school. And the reason this tweet is significant is that Alan Walsh represents Jonathan Huberto, who has a contract that hasn't even started yet. That includes something like 75% of its payment in signing bonuses and no movement clauses basically throughout the whole thing. I mean, he's, he he has more power than anyone would Huberto if he wanted to put his words to it. And I know he's distanced himself from the fact that this is this is a view of his agent. But, I mean, it's hard not to think like this. This is a sign of a bigger issue. And you wonder, how does everyone coexist? It's been a tough year for Jonathan Huberto in a lot of ways. You know, you're there, all the scrums and, and part of the availability is like, but my sense from afar is he's done a pretty good job of owning the fact that his production's down. You know, what I look at though, is he's not playing enough and I don't have the numbers in front of me and I had them the other day, but it's, he's, he's under 17 minutes. I think for the first time average per game since he was in his entry level deal, like since he was a young guy in Florida and now he's an older guy in Calgary, he's meant to be one of their, their, their star players or their biggest star um, by contract coming off a hundred point season. I, I don't, it just, it seems like there's a disconnect there and the beautiful thing about sports is winning. You know, there's always these sort of undercurrents within every team, every organization and, and winning solves a lot of it and it, and it eases it. And so like, I'm not going to pronounce this beyond repair or anything like that, but to get to the point where Alan Walsh sends that tweet, I just feel like it's a, sh it's a show that things are reaching a bit of a boiling point behind the scenes. Um, you know, I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's a whole lot of things. And I don't know if at this stage, Daryl Sutter is going to change how he coaches, you know, the sort of old dog, new tricks uh, thing kind of applies here, I believe. But this is a, this is a get your popcorn situation. Like I, th this is just the first act and what could be a multi-act play if things don't change in Calgary. And so that's, that's a really quick version of how I feel, but I, 
I don't know how you get around this one because, you know, Huberto is as locked in as a player could be locked in. Daryl Sutter's had all kinds of success and he is how he is. And, and he's signed a two-year contract extension. He won the Jack Adams award last year, but I think we should be asking questions about Sutter hard questions because this flames team has just been inconsistent and all over the place and nowhere near as good as last one. And I know that they made tons of personnel changes, but on some level, this has to fall on the head coach. I think it does. It's just that extension for me. It's, it's like, not to say it, it takes away the ability for us to ask hard questions for Daryl Sutter, but also just like, if this was any other situation and the coach was not extended, like the thing to do would be to say, you know what, we're moving on. We're getting another guy because you've made such a big bet in bringing in Huberto and Uyghur and extending them to contracts. Now some Kadri as well. Like this has to work essentially. Like people are saying, Oh, they should stand pad. It should start selling. Like you sign these high impact guys who are in the prime of their careers. You kind of have to take advantage of this window. And if the coach is not getting the best out of those players, something has to be done with it. The thing is you've already committed to a guy who, you know, it seems like the organization really, I mean, not necessarily the players or, I don't. You know, I won't speak for the players, but at least from the people up top, they obviously respect and like Sutter enough to give him that extension. Like he holds some kind of power in this too. Like it's it's a it's a very complicated situation. Well, look, you can fire a coach who has two years left on his deal. It happens. You could. It happens a lot. But I would ask this question: Who's firing him? Brad Tree Living, the general manager, is on an expiring contract. And so I yep. think as long as the, I mean, in this case, it's the rare time. Usually. The, the, the length of deals between GMs and coaches, it's generally like kind of the same ballpark, maybe off by a season, but this is kind of a weird dynamic now. It's like, cause if, you know, if I don't know, I don't have any update on exactly where Brad Living's own negotiations may or may not be. Like, I don't know what's going to become of him, but I have to, are think, there negotiations? Well, but here's my point is that right. in his, in his seat right now, I don't, not sure that he can go to his owner and say like, I'm going to fire this. Like, Cause then it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe not that Brad Trilliving himself is being fired. It's just a weird, the way it works out, it's kind of weird. Right. And you know, so I, I think everyone has to like, let's, let's face it. I would be stunned at this point. I think this is through the end of this season, for sure. This is going to be the setup. Uh, we'll see what they do at the deadline, but the off season will be interesting in Calgary. I mean, much the same way with Toronto, when you have a GM of a team that's, on an expiring deal, but the team isn't bad. And even, even with the flame struggles this year, they're not a bad team, right? Like this is still a team. Like if I, if I said in this world, Julian, that they're going to go make the playoffs and win a round or whatever, like, I don't think that would be That's that not surprising. Impossible. It doesn't, could. I will acknowledge it doesn't appear as we're recording this today, that they're on that trajectory, but they have good enough players. And that if they can find a way to have it come together, like I do believe they still have a team that you wouldn't want to play in the playoffs, but you know, how this all gets sorted through in the off season, I think is notable. And so, yeah, this is like a tweet. It's just, it's a tweet that, that's like a bit of a small fire off to the side, but it, it just gets everyone its tensions. Like, Hey, all is not well here. And I think that there, there have to be like that organizationally, they're going to have to be in a better spot by the time the puck drops next season. I just think there has to be more con continuity. Everyone's got to be more on the same page. I don't know who the GM will be. I don't know who the coach will be. I imagine Jonathan Huberto will be there because he's under contract until like 2031 or something like that. So, but I, I, I do think that this has been a really difficult season behind the scenes. And this, this tweet just kind of, it's, it's like a bell that just like goes like, Hey guys, look what's happening over there. And definitely it's not something that 
you know, Alan Walsh was just like, you know what? I'm going to come to this decision now. This is something that I think has been brewing for quite some time throughout the year. Also, I'll mention this really quickly because I know we got to get to other questions. Like, I feel like with some of the questions, as, as, as a media member who was part of some of those scrums after the tweet with Markstrom and, and Uyghur and, and Huberto, like some of the lines of questioning, I'll, I'll admit, I think like it kind of got to a point where we're asking about the joy in the locker room and the players. We kind of let the players kind of let them say like, hey, everything is good with us. And, and we're a tight unit and all that. And they tried to make that the story. I think we've all worked at places before where, like, we're really cool with our coworkers, but maybe the boss above us is a bit of a hard ass. And then you kind of unite on that front with your boys. That's what it kind of feels like to me. Am I wrong on that? I think that's what it is. Well, I mean, I'll point and it's you not to my, say It's not to say you did my like last TV job before this one. And that accurately describes kind of how I got to where I got to, too. I was going to say if that was more comparable to Wendy's, I wasn't even going to go to that last TV job. No, it's there. not, but it's not a shot at anyone in particular. I'm just saying no, I, I didn't, this have, is what I it didn't is. have one issue with the people I worked with every day on the ground. No, we had tons of fun. Elliot Friedman, David Amber, right down the list. But, you know, I didn't always see eye to eye with what happened above me. I get that. All right. Um, we do have other questions. And I guess the the spirit of the conversation was sort of close to what was on that lost episode you will never hear. Let's get to our pack. I think we got to like a six out of ten. If the other one yeah. was ten out of ten, maybe six and a half. Yeah. Like like we didn't get the full boil. Like we were in full boil on on oh man, we were like, the lost not, like yelling, not like yelling at each other, but we were like very passionate. Um our pan, uh not to be confused with uh our friend Arpan, uh Basu. Uh, will the Canucks trade one of Garland or Besser by the trade deadline? They're going to try. They've been trying. There's interest, but they're that you know money is like a real thing, right? It sure <laughs> like, is. Like the cap it thing. sure like, is, CJ. Well, let me give you. Let me illustrate. Then look at the players that have been traded: O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Horvat. All three of those players had money retained on their deals. In the case of O'Reilly, he got traded through Minnesota to have even more money retained on his deal. Even the Tyler Mott deal, you know, is not just a straight up, you know, get a pick back for a player. They take Julian Gauthier coming back to Ottawa to uh, to make the money work on the Rangers end of things. And and I'm sure the Senators like the player, but the point is, is that every deal that we've seen, even some of the smaller deals include, and I think this is part of the issue with Chickering in Arizona too, is that there's just dispute about what Arizona takes back or if they retain or how they make the money work for whatever team they're dealing with. And so I, I the, the same question now goes to Vancouver. Are you willing to eat money on these players or take a contract back? If the answer remains no, I, I don't see either being dealt by March 3rd. I certainly think one or both are candidates to be traded in the off season. Um, you know, Brock Besser in particular, he's playing a lot better. And, you know, we've seen him since Rick Tockett took over. He's probably one of the players that have benefited most from that coaching change, just in terms of getting more ice time, playing again with Elias Pettersson. He's been nearly a point-per-game player over a period of about a month or so. Um, you know, but Vancouver's probably the pin, and we're not going to give away a 25-year-old who's performing like this for nothing. But the other teams are like, well, we can't take on all six point, you know, six million of the cap hit or whatever exactly it is. So, you know, I just don't know that this happens by March 3rd because it doesn't need to. Um, but you know, for a Canucks team that wants to, to definitely ship some money off the, the books before next season, I, I could see one or both of these guys being dealt in the off season when maybe making trades is a little easier. 
Okay, last question for you because I know we're running low on time. We're going to take it from Chris from Chris W. Should there be more talk about the Seattle Kraken being opportunistic sellers? What is the market for uh, Carson Soucy, Jones, Donato, and maybe even Daniel Sprong on the trade market? I, I understand where the question comes from. And certainly in Carson Soucy's case, I think that there is you know a reasonable chance we see him traded. He's he's a pending UFA, six foot five defenseman. You know, I could see that being a piece that other teams want, and maybe Seattle sells that. But even with other UFAs, I, I think Ron Francis and company have to be careful because they still have a team quite capable of finishing atop the Pacific Division. And so that's why you won't see them selling an opportunistic seller is the questions using, like, like on just everything. Susie, I think, is a possibility. I'd be surprised if the others were moved. I mean, even Daniel Sprong, right? He was a PTO to start the year. Um, earned a contract at a training camp early in the season, and and he's been great. He's been very productive. One of the real strengths of that Seattle team is they've got four lines that truly put up offense, and, and they've scored a lot of goals, even without having maybe like a bona fide superstar, although Matty Beneers is probably knocking on that door or will be in the near future. Um, you know, they've been productive through their lineup, and so I think that you'd be taking away too much of your strength if you looked at moving, you know, a player like that. And so I, th I think it's going to be a relatively quiet deadline in Seattle. Maybe a small ad. Uh, they've already made a deal with, with San Jose to get Magna. Uh, maybe another small ad. Maybe Susie's traded out. But I, I don't see them being – I think they're just going to like let it roll and see where the season ends up because it's it's been a really nice year for the Kraken. And I don't think you want to disrupt that if you're in the front office. All right. That's going to do it for the Monday edition of the CJ Show. We will be back later this week with another episode. Do we do another Saturday pod? Do we do another Saturday pod? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know what everyone's schedules are, but yeah, maybe there's a big trade. Hmm. We we mix a new one in. I think we got to be flexible this time of year, though. Give the people what they want. Hmm. Something to think about over the next few days. Uh, subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, join the Discord and uh, enjoy all the other great programming there is to offer at the SDPM. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Enjoy your Monday. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.